Thank you. Hopefully, oh, I'm on. Is that your, is that your phone? No, I was going to steal it, just because. Good morning, family. Who, who, missed, um, who missed our savings, the changeover? I had no idea. I'm coming to church this morning, and uh, I put my, you know, my little ways on in my car, and, and the car had not automatically. I've got an old car. It uh, didn't automatically update. I'm going... There's two, there's two times here, and I quickly realised that I'd missed the brief, but I was here early enough, so I just lost a bit of sleep, that's all. All right, let's get on with it. Power, the, uh, I'm just going to share a little bit about uh, my journey um, up to this point. So the 29th of January, 1995, who are the mathematicians? That's about 27 years ago. Uh, I walked into this place, this, this church, for the first time, and the overwhelming, undeniable presence or feeling or understanding that I got from walking in here was I'm home. I found my family. God says, this is your family. It's 27 years ago, and that has never, never left me, and I thank God that it never has. During that time, during those 27 years, I've seen many seasons come and go. I was still in the Navy at the time. Um, and, uh, and, and at one point when I was, you know, uh, contemplating whether I get out and stay here in the church or not, or stay in the Navy, there was a, it was a time where uh, God says, no, you, you, you're going to move on with the Navy. But... The sense of family and belonging never left. So I went two years to Darwin, two years to Perth, but I still knew the connectedness of back home. This was my family. Quite often, as Graham Cook says, the way that we come into Christianity or come into the family is the way that we maintain our Christianity. And so this sense of family and belonging was really, really deeply entrenched in my heart. And I thank God because during those times, as I said, there's been many, many seasons out for four years, but still connected. Then there was, um, you know, a change of building. When I left, we were in a place called Leisureland, a big, whopping big building. When I returned four years later, we were in a completely different building. That was a change. That was a seasonal change. Um, uh, there was a lot of, lot of other uh, seasons that we went through as a church. You know, how long we've we been going? 30 plus years now. 35? 35 years. So you can imagine that there's been many different seasons that have gone on uh, in the life of this church, just like there's the life of each one of us. In 2007, I moved from full-time workout with defence and moved into a time of training um, where you uh, had a, a discipleship program. It's, even that has had many, many changes over its time, full-time and part-time, but it ended up being uh, a course called or a program of, of discipline called Accelerate. So it was, Accelerate was two words, meaning acceleration and excellence. So those two words of Accelerate. Uh, and I entered into full-time ministry as a pastor and staff in 2007 and, uh, and began to train uh, the disciples. My first year, or well, I 
about halfway through 2007, I joined, and so I finished that one. My first full year was three students. And really, that was my capacity at that time. I was, you know, could only handle probably three, three of them. One of them was Mark Oliver, who's lovingly still here, not here today, I don't think. So if anyone knows Mark, yeah, it was probably my capacity. <laughs> and, and with two others, you know, um, and, uh, but, but I kept moving and changing as, as went on. So I went from a, a volunteer church member, a volunteer, into pastor, staff, and full-time. Over that 14 years, uh, that also saw a lot of changes. Um, about halfway through, we started adding, and, and there was fruitfulness there. There was incredible fruitfulness. I remember one year there was about 35 uh, students that were under my care in full-time, full first year, second year, and, and part-time. So from three to about 30-odd 30, 30 um, students was a massive change. And it was very fruitful. It was flourishing. So much so that we had to, uh, we, we, we developed it to a second year, as I said. We added in apologetics, uh, which was a major shift in, in many ways. Our worldview, uh, Colson, um, Colson Fellows uh, came across our path, so we began to uh, uh, integrate that into a lot of the, the curriculum, and it just kept changing and changing and changing, and uh, we were out in nations, we were, oh my goodness, I have to keep an eye on that. Yeah, it was really, really flourishing, and um, uh, the curriculum was changing, so much so that uh, it really became too big for me. And uh, so uh, Caleb and I were talking a, a lot during that time and, and uh, our hope was that uh, I would grow into this uh, director. And um, it was very, very difficult because for me personally, um, I understood the, the significance of it. But the, my wiring and my gifting and my, you know, the way that I uh, operate best was not really my strong suit, this area of directing and command and, and uh, control and all that. Even though I was a Navy boy, I was very, very used to just following orders and implementing the orders. Uh, I was much better at relating, building relationships, and that was far, far better for me to, uh, to journey. But nonetheless, this area of director needed to be, you know, uh, needed to be established. So Zoe Nichols ended up coming coming on board as the director, and, uh, and I was very, very happy with that. I, was, uh, I found it very difficult to, to make you know, high-level decisions, so I was very uncomfortable. And so when she began to do that, I began again to flourish and, and, and love my role uh, in Accelerate. Um, but again, seasons continue to change. And for Zoe, it was uh, more babies came along or... Lots of little babies and babies that didn't like to sleep a lot. So she was getting more and more worn out, more and more tired. And for her to, you know, to, to have this family life and this mothering life and, uh, you know, began to be very, very evident that she couldn't sustain this for too long. And, and she also believed that, you know, there was, a, there was a season for her and that season was coming to an end. So... Caleb and I began discussions again around uh, this role of director. Now, this was around about 2020. Can anyone possibly imagine what happened around 2020? 
as if this was difficult enough for me to try and re-establish this director. I believed in discipling. I still do. We still believe that this is the method that God wants to train and grow and mature his people, his church, and I still am absolutely convinced of that. But the method was getting very, very difficult, very, very hard, and God was behind the scenes changing things. Now, I was very fruitful in that first, you know, 14 years, you know, from, from three up to 30-odd to and, and then, you know, changing and, and seeing it uh, develop and grow into a very, very powerful instrument that God totally blessed, totally flourished. Um, but things were changing. And, uh, and um, my role in that uh, began to become very, very difficult. And uh, Caleb and I kept talking, and, uh, but I felt like I was the square peg in the round hole. Now, there is a way you can get a square peg in a round hole. Does anyone know? Just use a bigger sledgehammer. That'll work every time, but at a great cost. I felt like I was trying to, you know, hammer myself into uh, this round hole, but it just wasn't working. And it came to a head, and it was very uh, deep, it was very painful, personally, and uh, during 2020, I really did begin to hit a wall. All of my uh, fruit that was evident before was no longer fruit, it was no longer evident. The, the things that were working really well were no longer working very well. Now, that was externally and internally. Now, there were several factors, obviously, uh, COVID being a main one. So a lot of our recruitment for uh, Accelerate was, was um, word of mouth and seeing people's lives change. And we were able to get out into nations and get into uh, you know, different churches and communities and uh, take the students out there. And uh, they really were uh, the advertisement there, the lives that were changed dramatically by God and for God, uh, were really the advertisement. And we didn't have to do a lot, but all of a sudden we couldn't even travel. Even if we wanted to, we couldn't even go down to the church next door to, uh, to say, hey, you know, God's doing a great thing. So everything began to dry up drastically. There was also some significant leadership changes um, leadership and separation and detachment changes that were, again, very deep and very personal and very painful uh, for me personally. So all of a sudden, in a very intense time of three years, probably my, my, my most painful you know, season that I've just been through um, was upon me. And, uh, and things were not very, very uh, good internally. I had to make some decisions during this time. Do I stay and keep doing what I'm doing and try and fit this square peg in or a round hole? But I really felt that I was going to be probably dead in about six months. Um, so I could do nothing and stay. And that would have been driven by fear. If I'd stayed as I was, not say anything, just keep going, I would have been dead in six months probably or sucking my thumb, rocking in the back corner and uh, trying to work out what day it was. Um, or I could run. I could pack up, leave, 
because of anxiety, depression, anger, offence, whatever's going on. But there would have been a tearing of relationships in that. And remember that deep, deep sense of what God said in the beginning was this is your family. This is your home. Now, the good thing about that, it's not based on a man. It's based on a community. You are my family. It, now, I've seen so many changes to this, to this family over those 27 years. I barely recognise, well, there's only a few, if I'm honest with you. When I came in, there's, there's only a handful of us. So the family, but see, it's not based on people. It's based on the family God brought me to. You're still my family. Whether the people have come and gone and changes have happened, it remains that this is my family. So I couldn't run. I could. It was an option. But I knew that it wasn't the right option. And I didn't want the tearing of relationships. I could stay and provide a solution and allow change to occur no matter how scary or painful it was. And the result of that would be to grow up, to speak up, and to face my fears and to change. Or I could move on, realising that my season in this church as a pastor or even as a, as a, as a full-time staff member had come to attend its run its course, and I had to honestly look at those things. And in my mind, I was thinking, has the grace to be in this particular call changed significantly that I now need to go outside to look for work elsewhere? But then I realised the call isn't to ministry. The call isn't to family. The call isn't to vocation. There's no such thing as a call to ministry, a call to vocation, a call to family. The call is one call. It's to follow Jesus in your family, in your vocation, in your ministry area. It's, at the end of the day, the call is to simply follow Christ. And I realised that at the right time and had to change the way that I viewed things. Now, what is a season? And why are they important to discern accurately during this time of incredible change? Everything was rapidly unfamiliar to me, unknown to me. I didn't know if I was going to be employed in the church. I'd gone down to four days wages, three days wages. Uh, you know, there was um, a lot of changes that I was, was going through. I couldn't sustain that for too long. There were three girls in 2021 that were pushing to do a second year of discipling. And I had to make a decision. Do I stay on and, and see that through to completion or do I move on? And these were all the things that were kind of going on behind the scenes in my heart. And, and was my identity, yep, I think it was, caught up in Pete the trainer of EDT. It was definitely part of it. My wages and, and everything else. So you, as you can imagine, I'm trying to pick, you know, paint the picture that there was a lot going on during this time. And yet there were three incredible young ladies that needed a second year of guidance and and, uh, and discipleship training, and, and to, our, to our amazing um, uh, insight, we, we went through with that, that last year, so I started with three and I finished with three. Um, Olivia, you know, went on and is now the, the current, uh, you know, youth, uh, youth leader. Uh, Jazzy's out the back, currently looking after our primary school, 
And, uh, and little Zoe stayed on as she could have gone back to, to Queensland, but she stayed on and continued her journey into the things of God. And, uh, and we're really grateful that we made that decision. But these were very hard decisions. So what are seasons? And why are they important to discern accurately? Well, seasons are a great metaphor depicting our journey with Christ. Different seasons come and go. And they, they represent external things that we cannot change or influence. But they happen regardless of what we want, how we feel, when they occur or even how long they last. We're not in control of them. We don't know. However, it happens inside, sorry, but however, what happens inside through the different seasons is what really matters. Or as John Maxwell puts it, change is inevitable, growth is optional. You know, there's a saying, red sky at night, sailor's delight. Now I know that very well, and by the way, it's accurate. We would get up and look at the weather forecast. We're out in the middle of the ocean, who knows where, and we would read the signs of the, of the, you know, of the weather patterns. Red sky at night, we knew that there was going to be an incredibly beautiful, calm day the next day. But if there was a red sky in the morning, man, sailor's warning, we were in trouble. It was the same back in Jesus' time when the religious leaders of his day which were his real enemy and his, and his, uh, his often his, you know, his, uh, his punching bags, um, they tried to, to trap him and Jesus said, you know, it's the same with you. You demand, uh, you know, great demonstrations in the sky. Uh, you can, you're good at reading the weather signs of the sky, but you really can't read the obvious signs of what's going on. You're good at looking at the external things, the weather, the patterns and whatever, but you don't really know the obvious patterns that are going on in the inside. In short, Jesus was saying, and it still rings true today, stop looking for the obvious, look differently. Now, in seasons of difficult change, we often focus on the things that we can see, and that was me. I was focused on the pain, I was focused on the problem, and I was focused on the people. All, all external, all external things. So I was looking at the season. So I was trying or attempting to do things like avoid or minimise the pain. That was, my big, that was my big ticket, just avoid. If I can avoid the pain... And instead of self-care, I self-medicated. Found ways to, to find comfort, soothing, because at all costs, the pain was getting unbearable during that season and in our seasons. I tried to avoid it or minimise it, you know, justify it, but that really didn't work. So I became overwhelmed uh, with the sense of the problem. And as I looked at the problem, you know, and I've said this many, many times to many, many students, the problem's never the problem. The issue's never the issue. It's really annoying when you have to try and listen to your own advice. Do you notice that? 
So at some point, all of those years, all of those great sounding philosophies of the problem's never the problem, the issue is never the issue, I had to begin to think through and realise what I'd given out so freely was actually true for me as well. The people, well, I just blamed. I found criticism, I found judgement, condemned, even if it was just in my heart. It was not the people, it wasn't the problem, it wasn't the pain, there was something else. While I was looking at those things, God had a very, very different viewpoint. I was trying to, uh, can we just put up, you know, 2 Corinthians 4. As I was looking at the pain, the people and the problems, Jesus was looking very differently. That is why we never give up or never lose heart, it says. Though our bodies are dying, our inner strength in the Lord is growing day by day. These troubles and sufferings of ours, after all, are quite small. They didn't feel quite small, let me tell you. They were quite big. But see, it's about perspective and won't last very long. Three years was fairly long, but not in, not in comparison to eternity. Yet in a short time of distress will result in God's richest blessing upon us forever and ever. So we do not look at what we can see right now. All I could see was pain, people and problems and the troubles around us. But we look forward to the joys in heaven, which we have not yet seen. The troubles will soon be over, but the joy will come, will last forever. So there was something that I couldn't see. All I was seeing was my pain, my problem, my the people, blame, avoid, find criticism, find fault. But really God was saying, look differently. So as I began to look differently, I realised that God was looking through humility, honesty and holiness. Very, very different. I think the key during that time of difficulty was when I finally looked at the fruit or the fruitlessness in the past season. God had trimmed or pruned so much of the last season's fruit and a lot of the dead wood. I know the scripture and you know the scripture and I felt like I was just a stick. Honestly, that's how I felt. I was rooted in the church, in the house, in the presence of God, but all I could show was a stick. And when I saw that stark reality of not a lot of fruit, not a lot of branches, not a lot of leaves, just a stick. It was then that I realised I've, I've got to look differently. I've got to see things. But there's the realisation that there was not a lot of fruit, well, there was actually fruit. The fruit was not good fruit, though. Again, criticism, judgement, unforgiveness. These were fruit that were growing, and I was beginning to be more and more aware of that. So all of a sudden, I remembered the passage found in John 15. So John 15, verse 1, says, I am the true uh, grapevine, and my father is the gardener, and he 
cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do not bear, bear fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. Now, that's a painful position. You're fruitless, you're a stick, but he's promising something in the future, something that's going to change, something that's going to be there. Uh, but at the time, it wasn't there. So that you'll produce even more fruit. Sounded good, but man, the process to get there was painful. You already know, sorry, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. So remain in me and I'll remain in you. For the branch cannot produce fruit and it serves, uh, sorry, fruit if it is severed from the, from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So this obviously remain in me thing began to get more and more traction. Can I have the next verses, please? Yes, I'm the, I'm the vine and you are the branches and those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown out like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burnt. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples and this brings Great glory to my Father. Next. I have loved you even as God has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commands, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commands and have remained in his love. I've told you these things so you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will be overflowed. Flow. Uh, this is my command, love each other in the same way that I love you. So I began to spend time with Jesus and remain more and more. And often it was sitting in silence. And in his presence, I remember many, many times I wouldn't even be able to pray. I just mustered enough courage to get up and just go out the back and spend time in his presence. I didn't talk much. I certainly didn't complain much. I just sat in silence while God began to change my perspective little by little, just being in his presence. And as a result, my, main, my mind and eventually my heart began to change. And what he saw, hum, honesty, humility and holiness, I began to see. The honesty was really to myself. Just be honest. Be honest with where you're at. Be honest with your friend. This was a whole, you know, giving myself permission to be honest about the condition of my heart, the condition of my mind, the condition of everything. And that's a key. Become honest. Become honest and sincere in what, he, what you see and let God know that. Then humility. After honesty, humility began to grow. I.e., I had to get help. I had to see things and get help from others. So I went to a trusted pastor, I started seeing a psychologist, not that I was, you know, I just needed help to process things, it wasn't that I had a mental uh, illness and there's not, you know, and I'm being very sensitive about that too, but for me, my, my mind and my processing needed an outside influence to help me go through some of the process, and it was one of the healthiest things, I never thought I'd ever see a psychologist, but she's been one of the one, most wonderful things, and I've kept with her for about two years now. Uh, and it's been a really healthy, healthy thing just to help me process 
my processing. And, uh, and also my brother, my, my literal brother, my, my physical brother, um, again, outside of the problems and the pain that I felt was happening here. And they gave me great perspective. And, and I realised that, again, the problem's not the problem. The people aren't the problem. You know, the pain isn't the problem. They're actually leading me to something far greater. During this time of intimacy and honesty and humility, I realised one thing as I became close with God, and it's this, that the heart and soul of the Christian experience is not ultimately about being Christ-like. It is rather that we would be united with Christ. Can we have that slide up if it's there? Oh, it is, sorry. So much of my... My contemplation or my contemplatory reflection on, my, on the Christian life, my Christian life, was focused on my discipleship journey to become more and more like Christ. But I realized this is problematic because Christ likeness is a derivative of something else, namely my union with Christ. That was such a key to change for me. I had the cart before the horse. All my effort and energy was to be Christ-like. But that's a derivative of being in union with Christ. It was my effort, my energy. And I realised I'd had it around the wrong way. Union with Christ, being with Christ... Loving Christ, hearing Christ, fellowshipping with Christ. As I did that, I became more Christ-like. I began to get soft again. I began to get, uh, you know, passionate again. Things began to free up. My effort to earn approval, and I'm not talking about effort here. I'm talking about earning if I, if, I do, if I behave in such a way, then I'll be accepted by God. That was the round the wrong way. All my doing, a lot of my doing, and trying to be Christ-like and trying to be better and trying to be good would then make me more accepted by God. But it's, it, well, the best way I can explain this is like this. It's like holding up my finger painting. This is my effort right here. Can we have that first one? This is me, my finger painting, paint on my fingers. I'm doing the best I can, and I'm trying to hold this artwork up against Michelangelo's painting of the Sistine Chapel. My effort was just pathetic compared to the work of Christ. My, my little job compared to what he's done. What I couldn't do, God did. What I couldn't fix, God restored. What I, what I couldn't pay for, God paid for. What I couldn't escape, God released me from. But it was in the realisation that I've got nothing to offer him. My finger paintings were pathetic. My effort, my, everything that I was doing to seek his approval, to earn his love and kindness were nothing more than finger painting. 
So as I began to be united with Christ, remain under his protection and love and mercy, things that I couldn't see began to change. Right before my eyes, things that I didn't see, didn't know, didn't understand began to open up. Remember, Caleb spent some time with Hagar and she was in a desperate position out waiting for her little boy to die. Then all of a sudden, something opened up to her. So this union with Christ for me opened up a new pathway that I'd never seen before. It was called hospitality. It was called new people. It was called first impressions. It was called uh, the next generation. All of a sudden, what the old season had produced and then had been pruned and cut and whatever, now little buds began to form and shape. But it all came out of, let me tell you, this union with Christ, this spending time with Jesus. And all of a sudden, passion and, uh, and love and vibrancy and creativity began to emerge like never before. So passion, purpose, positivity, regard for others, people, um, began to emerge like never before. And I saw how important things were, like I didn't see before, but now I understood this whole area of hospitality is amazing. You know, the church right now, we're in, you know, a new season. And I really believe that God is wanting more than ever for us to get back to union with Christ. Not, not to become Christ-like, it's just to come back into union with Christ. And as a result, I think we're going to see things very, very differently. My perspective had changed during those three years, and I now see things that I couldn't see before. And I'm so, so uh, excited about our future. You know, a church for the unchurched, that others would know him and discover him. And all of a sudden... For me personally, my mojo was back. You know, the skip, you know, in my step had returned. Uh, my my hope for a future was 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 beginning to uh, be seen and being felt and being known by me. This three-year journey did something. It broke me. It healed me and it matured me, uh, and it grew new fruit or beginning to grow new fruit, new fruit that would remain. Faith or trust in God's goodness, that was the first thing that remained. That he brought me through and what I couldn't see, what I was stuck in is now endless opportunities, countless opportunities. Hope for a future and the belief that the best is yet to come. I'm going to say that again because I think we, we lose hope. But the future that God promises us is better than the past. There's no good old days. The good days are ahead of us. Honestly, the good days are ahead of us. The future that God promises is real and it's better than the here and now. And also a deeper love for him and for others. Because in 1, 1 Corinthians 13, and verse 8 and to 13, if you can go to the next scripture, please. All the special gifts and powers from God will someday come to an end. 
But love goes on forever. Someday prophecies and speaking in an unknown language and special knowledge, these gifts will disappear. Now we know so little, even with our special gifts and the preaching of those most gifted, like Caleb, is still so poor. But when we have come to made perfect and complete, then the need for those inadequate special gifts will come to an end and, we will dis- and, and they will disappear. It's like this, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child does. But when I became a man, my thoughts grew far beyond those of my childhood. And now I have put, a, put us away the childish things. And in the same way, we can see and understand only a little about, what God, about God now. But if we were peering at a reflection in a poor mirror, but as if we were, but someday we are going to see him in his complete sense, face to face. Now all, of, all that I know is hazy and blurred, but then I will see everything clearly, just as clearly as God sees into my heart right now. So I began to see things clearly. These three things remain, hope or trust in God, Hope that the future is certainly better than the here and now and certainly better than the past. And love, and the greatest of these is love. As I come to an end and conclude, um, I want us to just stand up and and, uh, we're going to sing that song again, Seasons Change. And if we're stuck in the old season, if we're stuck and the fruit of the old season is becoming either rotten on the vine or not even there, I want to pray after this. I want us to reflect, where is your season right now? Have I placed doing, trying to be Christ-like before being my union with Christ and what fruit do I honestly display from this union with God and at the end of that I'd like us to I'll pray that as we come into this new season uh, as a family that we'll begin to see things afresh a new, and that mojo will come back, our excitement will come back, and the things of the future will bring such a hope and such a joy and such a peace. And if you're in a season that needs courage, I want to pray for that as well, humility and honesty. We're going to just sing that song and I'm going to pray afterwards. I want you to just reflect right now. Have I placed my doing before my being? Have I put my energy into being Christ-like rather than in my union with Christ? My relationship with Him.